0: Let God transform your life as you listen to this inspiring sermon by Reverend Richard C. Whitcomb. A few years ago, a certain woman's husband died, and suddenly she was left alone with her children to survive. Her husband had always handled all the finances in the family, so she found it very difficult dealing with banks and creditors and bills. She tried her best to take care of the kids and pay all the bills, but soon she fell behind. The debt collectors were coming every day. The money lenders were threatening her. She was about to collapse from all the pressure. One day, a bill came in the post from the insurance company. It wasn't a big bill, but she had no money to pay. The widow nearly fainted. She didn't know what to do, for she was afraid of owing more money. So she went to her pastor, and he advised her to go to the insurance company to try to negotiate with them. Maybe if you beg them and tell them your story, they will give you more time, he said. So this widow went to the insurance office. When she got there, she explained her problem to the agent. I want to pay, she said, but I need more time to sort things out. Please, can you give me an extension? As soon as I settle issues from my husband's funeral. I will pay what we owe. But when she said that, the agent looked confused. Madam, he said, did you just say your husband has died? When the widow answered yes, the agent was shocked. But madam, he continued, this bill you've come to discuss is for the life insurance policy on your husband. If he's died, you don't need to pay anything at all. We rather need to pay you. For this insurance policy is an agreement we had with your husband to pay you the sum of one million U.S. dollars upon his death. The widow was shocked, but it was true. Rather than her owing the insurance company, they owed her. Rather than being a debtor, she was in fact a wealthy woman. All this time, she had an inheritance, but she didn't know about it. She had a vast sum available to her, but because of ignorance, she couldn't collect it. In order to get out of debt and begin to soar, she had to possess her possession. Today, there are millions of children of God just like this woman. God has given us a mighty inheritance in Christ, but ignorance has robbed us of receiving it. He's filled our future with his promises, but we won't possess our possession until we learn to claim our inheritance and reach out for what is ours. If you want to soar in 2022, you have to arise and possess the land. That's the truth we're going to explore in our sermon today. But before we do, let's bow our heads and pray. Almighty and everlasting Father, we thank you that your word is filled with treasures, promises from you so vast, most of us don't even know half of them. But today, I pray you will open our eyes to see the potential, the promise, and the purpose of God for our lives. I pray today, Lord, you will reveal to us how much our inheritance is in you. And Lord, we will rise up in faith to possess it. I submit us to you today, Lord Jesus, and I bind every voice of the devil that would come to deceive or disturb or distract us. In the name of the Lord Jesus, I loose the power of the Holy Spirit to fall upon us, to give us light and life and grace to obey you. We thank you that at the end of today, your name will be glorified and our lives will be changed. We give you the praise in Jesus' name, and everybody said, amen. I want to invite you to take a moment, join your faith with mine right now, put your hand on your chest, and pray along with me, Lord Jesus, speak to my heart, change my life, manifest your glory in me, in Jesus' name, amen and amen. Well, hello, everybody. Welcome to Truth for today. I'm so glad you've joined me as we continue our sermon series entitled, Soar. God gave me the word soar as his word to us for 2022. He's spoken to us from Isaiah 40, 31. But those who trust in the Lord will find new strength. They will soar high on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not faint. Praise God for this powerful promise from the Lord. It's a word of vision and direction for all of us. It's a word of promise and of purpose. It's a word to carry us up higher in 2022. That's the truth we discovered last week in the sermon Soar Higher. Last week we learned that soar is a call to ascend. God always takes us higher and he's constantly moving us to new levels of victory. But we can only soar and ascend to new heights when we participate with God. That's why we also learned that soar is a command to act. God is requiring us to do something. When we ascend and act we go to the next level. And that means that soaring is a consequence of the anointing. When God's anointing dwells in you, you will soar higher. But friend, the good news is God is not finished with us yet. The move of the Holy Spirit is getting stronger, and there's still more ahead. I sense the stirring in my spirit that we must press through and continue to soar. That brings us to today's message, Arise and Possess the Land. See, if we're going to soar this year, then we are still going to take new territories. There are new territories we must claim. There are still new battles to be won. God has something for us that must be completed, for the best is yet to come. So how can we arise and possess the promised land God has for us? Well, to help us discover the truth, we've prepared sermon notes. You can download the sermon notes for free from my website, my Facebook page, and on my YouTube channel. I invite you to get your sermon notes out now and follow along with me as we learn what it means to arise and possess the land. There at the top of your notes, you'll see our scripture text for today, found in Joshua chapter 1, verses 2 and 3. The Word of God is on your notes, it's on your screen, but I know the Word of God has the most impact when it's on our lips and in our hearts. So I invite you to read God's word together with me out loud. Are you ready? Here we go. Three, two, one, go. Now, therefore, arise. Go over this Jordan, you and all this people, to the land which I am giving to them. Every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given you. May the Lord bless the reading of his word to your heart today. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, amen. Now, before we break down this passage, let me give you a little background about the situation here. As you may know, the children of Israel were slaves in Egypt when God sent Moses to deliver them. But God's goal wasn't just to get them out of trouble. He also wanted to take them into a promised land. He wanted to do more than just save them. He wanted to provide a good land and a good life for them, to take them to a rich land and a land of plenty. He gave them the land and sent them there to enjoy it. But along the way to the life of promise, the children of Israel backslid. They wandered in the wilderness for 40 years because of their sin and disobedience. And though the promised land was still theirs, they never entered in and enjoyed it in that generation. And the same truth applies to us. The fact is, God wants to bless you. He wants to do more than save you. He wants to give you a life of promise. Jesus said, I have come to give you abundant life. He wants you to soar. But the desire of God to bless you isn't enough on its own to make it happen. There's a part you and I must play. That's the problem that the people of Israel encountered. God wanted to bless them, but they were not willing to receive it. They turned their back on God, and for 40 years, they struggled in the desert. They owned a land, but they couldn't live there. They had a promise, but they never saw it fulfilled. They had a destiny, but it always seemed to escape them. God wanted them to soar, but they were stuck wandering in the wilderness. But one day... The old generation of rebels passed away. The new generation had the heart to follow God. And one day, God said to Joshua, the leader, Now is the time. Today is the day. Arise. Get up. It's time to take what is yours. It's time to possess the land. It's time to soar. So Joshua and the people went across the Jordan River to possess their possession. And we can learn from them today. For just as the time came for them to act and ascend in God's anointing, this is the time. Now is the day. This is the time for us to arise and possess the promises God has given to us. So today, let me give you three steps to arise and possess the land. And here's your first step. To arise and possess the land, you have to claim your portion. Just put your hand on your chest and say, I claim my portion. The fact is, God had already given the land of Canaan to the Israelites. That's why he said in Deuteronomy 1.8, I have given you this land. Go in and take possession of the land. But there was something the children of Israel had to do. They had to go and possess what had been given. The fact is what is given is not automatically yours. So here's the truth you need to pack up and take home with you today. The giving is God's part. The possessing is my part. How can we possess our possession? In order to possess what's yours, first of all, you have to know it's yours. You cannot possess what you don't know belongs to you. That's the lesson we can learn from a young man many years ago from a Christian home Who went off to university as he was leaving home his parents gave him a bible he thanked them but inwardly he wished they'd given him something more substantial after all what could he do with the bible it wouldn't pay his bills or buy him food well as time went by this young man eventually needed money so he called his mother one day and said mom i need money and she said well son the bible is a great source of joy in times like these why don't you read John 3.16? Well, the boy wasn't interested in reading the Bible. He was hungry and he needed money. So he called his dad and said, Dad, I need money. But to his surprise, his dad said, Son, you should read the Bible. Try Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Ha! Huh. The boy was not happy at all. He went out for a walk to clear his mind and think about his situation. And along the way, he passed a church. The pastor was ministering, so the young man decided to sit down and listen. Suddenly, the pastor stopped his sermon, looked at the young man and said, God says you should read your Bible. Then the pastor went back to preaching. Well, by this time, the boy was just shaking his head. He didn't need the Bible. He needed money, cash, money. But there was nothing else for him to do. So he went back to his room, and reluctantly, he opened his Bible to read. And as he turned to John 3.16, he discovered a $50 U.S. note. Surprised, he turned to Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 and found another 50 U.S. dollar note. He flipped through the Bible and discovered all the money he needed had been hidden away by his parents, tucked throughout the Bible in the pages of the Word of God. He already had all the money he needed, but he could not possess what he didn't know was his. And the same is true for you. There's a treasure in the Word of God. But you've got to know the Word to enjoy the blessings of the Word. Every need you have is met in God's Word. Every promise you require is in the Bible. But you have to dig deep into God's Word to discover the promises He has for you. You have to know the Bible to claim your portion of the blessing. The reason many of us don't walk in victory is because we don't know the promises of God available to us. If we knew what is ours through God's promise, we would be able to claim it and possess it. The fact is, I'm not promising you anything other than exactly what the Bible says. I don't need to make up false claims or fabricate some wild speculation. There are enough promises for us as children of God that we can spend our entire lives knowing and growing in the possession of our inheritance. For example, listen to this promise found in Galatians 3.29. You belong to Christ, so you are Abraham's descendants. You will inherit all of God's blessings. Read that again. You will inherit all of God's blessings because of the promise God made to Abraham. And then think again of Colossians 1.12. Apostle Paul tells us, the Father has enabled you to share in the inheritance that belongs to his people. Yet knowing these promises alone is not enough. We must also realize that God has given the promises. And we have to possess them. What God gives, we must claim. You don't walk in it automatically. You have to believe it. You have to pursue it. You have to embrace it. For example, look at the verse in 1 Thessalonians 5.23. May God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. May your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. It is God's will for you to be fully... Holy, sanctified. It's God's promise to you that you will live in complete victory all the time in the spirit, soul, and body. But that won't happen automatically. It doesn't happen because you've been in church all your life or because you attended a different seminar or because a great man of God laid hands on you and anointed you with oil. You have to possess for yourself what God has promised for you. That's why Joshua eight says, keep this book of the law always on your lips. Meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Then, then, somebody say then, then you will be prosperous and successful. So do not miss the Word of God. You have to know it. You have to keep it. It should be on your lips and in your heart and in your mind. You've got to obey it. You've got to value it. For the Bible is our source, our standard, our supply, and our solid foundation. It is the key to claiming your portion. The problem in the church today is that many Christians don't even know the Bible. I'm troubled by our overemphasis on prophecy and our ignorance of God's Word. So please let me talk to you like a father and give you a balance for you today. I believe in the spiritual gifts for the church today. God is not dead. God did not stop speaking when the original apostles died. I believe he can and does heal the sick. I believe he can and does speak to his people through words of knowledge and the gift of prophecy. However, a lot of what's going on today in the name of the prophetic is rubbish. A lot of what's done in the name of prophecy and spiritual gifts is a counterfeit from Satan. It's sent to distract and deceive us so that we will be led astray. In fact, today, most Christians are more impressed with the words of a prophet than they are with the word of the living God who made heaven and earth. Many Christians today would rather obey a prophet than obey the Bible. But listen, friends. No word of prophecy compares to the word of God. For 2 Peter 1.19 says, We have the more sure word of prophecy, and you do well that you heed it. In other words, the Bible is a more sure word of prophecy than anything any modern-day prophet can ever proclaim. Recently, a lady left a church to start attending a church run by a prophet. She said, I want to go and get a direct word from heaven. But I have news for you. The only direct word from heaven is the Bible. Anything else is indirect. The Bible is the only infallible truth. Anything else is susceptible to error. You can leave the Word of God and run to a prophet, but I'm sorry for you because you are going to get an inferior word. You cannot get better than the Bible. You're not getting the best. Prophecy is good. The Bible is the best. We must listen to prophecy, but we must also judge all prophecies according to the Bible. The Bible says all prophecies must be judged, and all genuine prophets must be willing to submit their prophecies for judgment to determine whether their prophecy is right or wrong. Our superstition about prophecy has gone to such an extent that we are being deceived because we're leaving the Word of God and living our lives based on prophecy. A few years back, a lady named Mame went to visit the UK. She needed to take a train somewhere, so she went to the train station. But while she was waiting at the train station, she saw an enemy and she became afraid. So she called her personal prophet. Will my enemy poison me? No, the prophet said. Then this woman saw a Muslim in a long robe and headscarf. She was afraid he might bomb her train, so she called her prophet. Will this man bomb the train? No, the prophet said. The woman was still nervous and fearful, so she called the prophet again. What do you see for me? What do you see for me? He said, I see a great light. She was still very nervous. She was trying to flee her enemy, trying to avoid the Muslim man. She boarded the wrong train in her confusion. And as she was going on the wrong train to the wrong destination, the train had an accident. The woman went to heaven and saw a great light. When she got to heaven, she said, God, why? God, why? The prophet told me that they wouldn't kill me. Why? God said, well, everything he said was true. Your enemy didn't poison you. The Muslim man didn't bomb you. And you saw a great light. Then why did I die? She said, God said, you died because you were on the wrong train if you hadn't been so caught up in worrying about your enemy poisoning you or someone bombing your train, if you weren't so caught up in listening to the prophet on how to stay safe, you would not have boarded the wrong train and died. Some of us are so consumed in our comfort and safety on the journey that we fail to follow the right train. We're on the wrong train to the wrong destination. Don't be so caught up in your seat selection that you board the wrong train? What good is a first-class seat on the wrong train headed to the wrong destination? Some of us are so consumed in discovering who our enemies are that we fail to discover who our God is. If you spend as much time in the Bible <laughs> discovering about God as you do at the prayer camp trying to discern your enemies, you would be blessed and at peace. The Bible tells you who your God is. The Bible tells you how to please him. And if you focus on pleasing God and obeying his word, he will take care of your enemies himself. For Proverbs 16:7 says, When a man's ways please the Lord, he makes even his enemies to be at peace with him. We run to any prophet to give us a word, but we ignore the only sure word, the word of God. Some of us would rather run to the prophet than to God's word, but why would God speak to you through a prophecy when you ignore the word he's already spoken in the Bible? Prophecy can comfort and encourage and exhort us, but only the Bible can put you on the right train to the right destination. Prophecy is good, we need it, but the Bible is better. Only the word of God can put you in the hands of the right engineer. Only the word of God is infallible. And that brings us to our second truth for today. To arise and possess the land, you have to contend with the giants. We often think that if God has something good to give us, we should get it without a fight. But when God gave the children of Israel the promised land, they not only had to go and possess it, they also had to go and fight for it. God promised them victory, but the victory was won in battle. That's why God told them in Deuteronomy 2.24, Arise, set out, pass through the valley of Arnon. Look, I have given Sihon the Amorite, king of Heshbon, and his land into your hand. Begin to take possession and contend with him in battle. Now, let me make it clear. We never contend for salvation. Salvation is a free gift of grace. We receive salvation by faith, but we never fight for it but we do contend to enter into the promised land. We have to go to fight to get to the next level, to achieve our destiny, to obtain the prize of our high calling. We have to contend and fight in order to soar. And here's the truth you need to pack up and take home with you today. The equipping is God's part. The contending is my part. God has given us all we need to fight and win, but he wants us to learn how to fight so that we will be made stronger. We are destined to reign with him on the throne, so we have to learn how to overcome the enemy like he did. That's the lesson we can learn from the African giraffe. The African giraffe is a great, majestic animal. It's the tallest of all land-living animal species, and the largest ruminant, males, can be up to 5.5 meters tall and weigh up to 1,700 kilograms. The record-sized male giraffe found in Kenya in 1934 was 5.87 meters tall and weighed approximately 2,000 kilos. Hey! But one of the oddest things about giraffes is not their long neck, but the way they treat their newborn infant. You see, when a baby giraffe is born, the first thing to emerge is the baby giraffe's front hooves and head. A few minutes later, the plucky newborn is hurled forth falls 10 feet to the ground and lands on its back. Within seconds, the baby giraffe rolls to an upright position with his legs tucked under his body. From this position, he considers the world for the first time and shakes himself. The mother giraffe lowers her head long enough to take a quick look. Then she positions herself directly over the calf. She waits for about a minute, and then she does the most unreasonable thing. She swings her long, pendulous leg outward and kicks her baby so that it is sent sprawling head over heels. If the baby doesn't get up, the violent process is repeated over and over again. The struggle to rise is momentous. As the baby calf grows tired, the mother kicks it again and again to stimulate its efforts. Finally, the calf struggles and stands for the first time on its wobbly legs. But just as the baby giraffe stands up for the first time on its own legs, the mother giraffe does the most remarkable thing. She kicks it off its feet. Why? Why would the mother giraffe keep kicking her own baby off its feet? Because she's teaching the baby giraffe to fight. She wants it to remember how to get up and run. For in the wild, baby giraffes must be able to get up as quickly as possible. They must be able to stay with their mother and father where there's safety. For lions and hyenas and leopards and wild hunting dogs will chase that giraffe. And if that young giraffe doesn't learn to contend and doesn't learn to fight, that giraffe will never survive. Maybe you're listening today and you feel like a baby giraffe. You were just lying there enjoying the new year when all of a sudden the devil came alongside you and gave you a good kick. It may have surprised you. It may have hurt. You may have been thinking that now that I'm a child of God, nothing like this should happen to me. And all of a sudden, bam, the enemy sends you flying through the air. Yet sometimes we need that kick to teach us how to get up and fight spiritual battles. For the fact is, you get stronger through contending. That's why you have to learn how to wage spiritual warfare. God has called us to rule and reign with him, but in order to be effective in our destiny, we have to learn to fight the good fight of faith. We have to learn how to take dominion and overcome the enemy. You have to get in the battle and contend. That's why Paul writes to all of us in Ephesians 6, 11 to 13 and tells us, put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God, so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground, and after you've done everything, to stand. Make no mistake, there is a battle. And contending in spiritual warfare is not just the job of the pastors. It's the duty of every single child of God. There's no doubt we need one another. We need men of God to pray for us and battle for us and our families. We need prophets and pastors to intercede on our behalf to wage warfare in the spiritual realms. But God has not called the pastors to pray while the members relax It's the duty of every believer, both young and old, to get in the battle and contend for your inheritance in Christ. For when you have Christ in you, you have the victory. When you're walking in God's ways and his presence is with you, then you can rise in faith and contend with the giants. That's why God told Joshua in Joshua 1.5, no one will be able to stand against you all the days of your life, as I was with Moses. I will be with you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. God gave the Israelites the land, but they had to fight for it. They had to drive out the giants. But God also gave them the assurance that he was with them and victory was guaranteed. For when you know God is with you, you know that victory is sure. And the same is true for us. God is calling us to soar, but we have to contend with the giants and overcome them so that we can rise up. And when you rise in faith to do battle against the enemy, you have God's promise of power and God's promise of victory. That's why the Bible says in 1 John 4:4, my dear children, you belong to God and have defeated them because God's spirit who is in you is greater than the devil who is in the world. I'm here to declare to you today, the God in you is greater than any demon in the world. The God in you is greater than any witch or wizard. The God in you is greater than Satan himself, and when you put on your spiritual armor and begin to fight the enemy, God promises you victory. And that brings us to our third truth: To arise and possess the land, you have to complete the task. Listen to the word of God in Joshua 11:23. So Joshua took the entire land just as the Lord had directed Moses, and he gave it as an inheritance to Israel according to their tribal divisions. Then the land had rest from war. And I declare to you today you will have rest in every area when you complete what God has given you to do. The Christian life is a marathon, not a sprint. And the fact is, God gives me the grace, but I Must run the race. That's what Paul teaches us in Philippians 3 12 to 14. Listen to his words. I have not yet reached my goal, and I'm not perfect, but Christ has taken hold of me. So I keep on running and struggling to take hold of the prize. My friends, I don't feel that I've already arrived. But I forget what is behind, and I struggle for what is ahead. I run toward the goal so that I can win the prize of being called to heaven. This is the prize that God offers because of what Christ Jesus has done. And think about this great apostle, this great man of God. If he could say that he's still running, he's still contending, what about us? We've not finished yet. We're still in the race, and we have to complete the work God has given us in order to win the prize and obtain the reward. For 1 Corinthians 9, 24 to 27 exhorts us, don't you realize that in a race, everyone runs, but only one person gets the prize? So run to win. All athletes are disciplined in their training. They do it to win a prize that will fade away, but we do it for an eternal prize. So I run with purpose in every step. I'm not just shadow boxing. I discipline my body like an athlete, training it to do what it should. Otherwise, I fear that after preaching to others, I myself might be disqualified. Several years ago, two old men were digging for gold in the caves outside their village. They'd been doing this for many years, but had never found any gold. They would dig deep into the ground and search far into the natural caves looking for treasure. Well, one day, God so kind, they were in a very deep cave digging when suddenly They struck gold. Hey, hallelujah. They got so excited, they started shouting and digging as fast as they could. But their loud shouts and their frantic digging caused the walls of the cave to begin to crumble and collapse. Rocks and dirt started falling in all around them. Before they knew what happened, they were buried in the ground. One of the men was able to struggle and free himself from the dirt. He had just a little gold in his hand, but he turned and left the other gold behind and carried the little gold out. He tried to pull his friend out from under the dirt as well. He shouted to him, we need to get out of here. This cave is going to collapse. But the other man refused to leave. No, just leave me here. He said, I found gold and I've got to get more. I've got to get more. I've got to get more. And he kept digging. Because he kept holding on for more gold. Just leave me and go, he said. Just then there was another mighty shaking of the earth. The first man who'd escaped said, I can't leave you here. You'll surely die. This cave is going to collapse in. What will I tell your family and friends? Then The second man, as the cave collapsed around him and he was buried alive, he clutched his gold and said, tell them I died rich. Friends, this world is collapsing and caving. And our frantic effort to get more from this life is not God's will for us. For God has given you great treasure. He's placed great gifts inside of you. He's given you an inheritance and a promise. You are God's gift to the world. You're a unique treasure designed by God to be shared with the world. But if you try to keep holding on to more and more and not sharing with others what God has placed in you, You won't ever enjoy the treasure. Don't hold on to your gifts. They're not given by God for you to enjoy. They're given by God to impact the world. He's called us to bring his treasure to the whole world. Don't die with the treasure hidden inside of you. Too many people in the church will die holding their treasure, never having used it for God. Too many of us are clutching onto what we have, unwilling to release it and share it with others. But you have to complete the task. You have to run your race to win. You have to accomplish what God has destined you to do on this earth. He didn't put you here just to accumulate more wealth that will be taken from you. He put you here to take the treasuries given you and bring it out to the world. That's why Hebrews 12, 1 and 2 says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up. And let us run with endurance the race God has set before us. We do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus, the champion who initiates and perfects our faith. It's time to arise and possess the land. God has given us promises, treasures, we must possess them. God has equipped us to win, we must contend for them. God has given us the grace, let us run our race and finish our course. That's the message found in Joshua 1.9. Be strong and of good courage. Do not be afraid nor be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Hear the word of the Lord to you today. You will soar in 2022 when you arise and possess the land. Father, in the name of Jesus, I pray for every man, woman, boy, and girl listening and watching today. I ask you to stir our hearts, Lord, that we will arise and know our inheritance. Give us a hunger for your word that we will dig deep into that treasure. Lord, you may speak to us in many ways, but speak most of all through your infallible word. And Lord, give us courage to rise up and contend in battle. You've given us the land. You've given us the promises. But we must put on the armor and fight for it. Give us the courage to complete the task. Let us not become so focused on clutching what we have that we fail to share your treasure with the world. Help us to leave this world behind and open our hearts to follow and pursue you that we might soar as we arise and possess the land. We thank you by faith in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. The of nation. God bless you for listening to this message. Reverend Richard C. Whitcomb is the senior pastor of Agape House, New Testament Church in East Lagon. If you are ever in Accra, we would like you to worship with us on Saturday night at 6pm or on Sunday at 7.30, 9.30 or 11.30am. You will have an awesome experience. We're here